1 Corinthians 8 and 5, that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means Elohim is the title that our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part in a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a letter J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our father and his son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit. And in this state, he is incomprehensible, inscrutable and indiscernible. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in this pure spirit state symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, Everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Joshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now, as there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what was the name of the savior during the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preference of the Holy Name Bible. Also at this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern and that nothing escapes the pattern. The primary constitutional objectives and aims of the Institute are as follows. One, 
to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, psychology philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to know, learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained that there is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. Ten, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this class with a prayer by Dr. Chuck Marshall from the Tampa, Florida class. And we'll have a scripture which will be the book of Jude uh, read by Dr. Bruce Geller from Oceanside. And our scripture readers this afternoon will be Dr. Sharon Welsh from the Syracuse branch and Dr. Vicki Knuth from the Green Bay branch. May we all bow our hearts and minds and thank Yahweh for this, another opportunity to get together, another opportunity to learn more about him. And we ask that you clear our minds of all our daily thoughts so that we can concentrate just strictly on you. This is a fantastic teaching that you have given us and we appreciate it and love you because of all this that we know. In Yahshua's name, let's thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good afternoon, class. The scripture lesson this evening will be Judah, the first chapter. And I'll be reading from the Holy Name Bible containing the Holy Name versions of the Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts revised by A.B. Trena of the Scripture Research Association. And that is in College Park, Maryland. Judah, the first chapter. Judah, the servant of Yahshua the Messiah and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by Yahweh the Father and preserved in Yahshua the Messiah and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend 
for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the sons. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, wicked men turning the grace of our Elohim into licentiousness and denying the only Elohim and our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that Yahweh, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamer, dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the adversary, concerning the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, Yahweh rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about by winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, Yahweh cometh with ten thousands of his sons to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are wicked among them of all their wicked deeds which they have wickedly committed and of all their hard speeches, which wicked sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles, of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own wicked lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of Yahweh, looking for the mercy of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah, unto eternal life. Some refuse while they dispute with you, but others save by arousing their fear, pulling themselves out of the fire, hating every trace of sinful lusts. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. That was Judah, the first chapter. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Marshall and Dr. Geller. And our first speaker will be Bia. I'm truly happy and glad to be here and to give a testimony of the things that Yahshua Messiah has shown to me of our father Yahweh. Now the founder has often told us that understanding Yahweh's purpose pattern and plan of salvation which is hidden in scriptures, his vision confirms that of Moses and John. First uh, scripture I like to call is 2 Peter 1 and 20. If I can have that read. 2 Peter 1 and 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of Yahweh spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And the founder himself said that he didn't come in to dispute or refute Moses nor John. He just came in to confirm Mm -hmm. their divine visions and divine revelation. And he often chastised us and told us, go back to Moses. So I would you please read Luke? It's the 24th chapter. Um, is it 24, 25, start 24, 25? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Luke 24, 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Okay. Now, and the reason why, if you're reading from a whole... Um, King James Version, this is in red. Mm -hmm. He's talking about two of the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, and they were discussing between themselves what had happened that particular day, talking about the Messiah and his resurrection. And he says, ought not 
Please read that again. Ought not the Messiah, ought, the, ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, is it verse 40? What is it, verse 44 or 45? He says, beginning um, at Moses. I'm beginning at Moses. Um, yeah, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, this is the Messiah explaining to them that all the things that the Messiah suffered, it was to, to fulfill the Mosaic law as Israel thought it was, the Mosaic law. But he had to suffer these things and fulfill them. And the founder often chastises and told us, let's begin at Moses. And that's what the Messiah often told his disciples and the crowds that followed him. Um, I, I'd like to call, um, well, I'll quote Isaiah. Mm -hmm. um, is it 8 and 20? Yes. He's, let Isaiah, me Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And this is Isaiah speaking. It wasn't Isaiah the man, but it was the Holy Spirit in them. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, meaning that law at that time, because law and the prophets is Yahweh's two immutable witnesses. They witnessed to Yahshua Messiah's birth, life, death, and his resurrection. Now, beginning at Moses, let's start at Moses, I believe, 12th chapter of Exodus, because what we're going to do is find out how Israel got to Egypt, <laughs> what promise? So I, is it um, Exodus 12 and one? No, that's the Passover. I wanna start at Moses having his charge from um, the charge given to Moses to go back down into Egypt because Moses, just as a Messiah, Moses being a type of the Messiah, Moses was born under a death decree, just as the Messiah, Yahshua. Moses being raised up in Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian, knowing that he was an Israelite, so he was well learned. It was not like Moses was an ignorant man or unlearned. Moses coming out of Pharaoh's household, daughter's household one day, sees a brethren being smitten by 
an Egyptian. Moses kills that Egyptian, buries him in the sand. This is following a pattern. And the pattern given to Moses, first man that Elohim ever disclosed the name and the pattern to. This is Moses is following a pattern, let's say that, before the pattern was even given. But Moses coming out of Israel, out of Egypt, into the wilderness of Sinai is following a pattern. Moses kills the Egyptian, comes out of Egypt into the wilderness of Sinai. Moses leaving Egypt, he was 40. Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness of Sinai. At the end of that 40 year period, Moses sees a phenomenal sight. Moses, under our terms today, is an old man. He sees a phenomenal sight, a bush being burned but not being consumed. Now, if I were to look at something like that, I, in my carnal state would think, hey, something going on. But Moses sees this sight and he turns aside. And the scripture says that when Yahweh Elohim saw him turn aside, in other words, what it's saying to me is that Moses accepted this phenomenal sight, a bush being burned, but not being consumed. He accepts it in his mind, his heart, his mind. And he also hears a voice. So Yahweh Elohim is seeing Moses accepts at a phenomenal sight and hearing a phenomenal voice. So he tells him, and I don't know where that scripture is. Yahweh Elohim introduces himself to Moses, but he Excellent. calls Moses in the third chapter. Okay. Exodus, Exodus three and four. And when Elohim saw that he turned aside to see, Yahweh called onto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, and he said, here am I. Okay. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Okay. Moreover, he right said, now, it takes Yahweh Elohim to see a man, to see be turn aside and accept a phenomenal sight and hear a phenomenal voice. It takes Yahweh Elohim to see that. Mm -hmm. Because no man could look at me and say, oh, well, you know, I see that she's seeing Yahweh Elohim. Or I see that she's seeing the creator. Then he calls Moses by his name and Moses responds. It takes the creator to hear me respond to him. Because if I was just standing there or sitting here with my family and all of a sudden I start answering they don't see anything but them and myself 
and they would think something's wrong with me mentally mm -hmm. because I'm holding a conversation and they don't see what I see. Right. So when Yahweh Elohim saw Moses turn aside or turn from the rudiments of the world and accept that bush being burned and not being consumed and hearing that phenomenal voice and responding to it, then Yahweh Elohim introduces himself to Moses and tells Moses what he wants him to do. Now, he just didn't tell him what he wanted him to do. He gave him signs and wonders. Going back down into Egypt, Yahweh Elohim asked Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, my staff. Now, I don't want to get off or go on a tangent, but I had heard one of the one of the other speakers speak on that rod or that staff that Moses had in his hand. When you go over to John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos, he was also given a rod or a staff to measure the temple and leave out the court roundabout. And the founder, he said that his divine vision and revelation was to confirm Moses and John. So the circumstances that you see with Moses, you also have to see with John the Revelator because John said he turned to see the voice that was speaking to him. So that brings the whole Bible or the law and the prophets together for me. And when Israel came up out of Egypt, that's me coming up out of the ignorance that I was in. And that was a phenomenal, Yahweh Elohim said he would bring Egypt or his son out of Egypt by a mighty hand. It took a mighty hand to bring me up out of my natural parents couldn't do it. My sisters and brothers couldn't do it. The world couldn't do it. It took a mighty hand of Yahweh Elohim to bring me up out of Egypt. And I like to go back down into Egypt, not to spend a great amount of time, but to be obedient to the instructions that were given to me so that the next speaker could have somewhat of a foundation to go on to give their testimony. And Egypt coming up out of Israel coming up out of Egypt. In Egypt, Israel was disorganized. But Israel coming out of Egypt was organized in the wilderness. They were given places around that tabernacle or stations around that tabernacle 
to abide. That's organization. Once the mighty hand of Yahweh brought me out of Egypt, I praise Yahweh that he organized me. I danced as David danced, naked and not ashamed, because I am so proud, so happy that he chose me to bring me out of Egypt and organize this disorganized soul and tell me that he chose me as a member of the body, of his body. Now, that's my testimony from my heart. I see how Yahshua Messiah has brought me from Egypt into the wilderness by the pattern. And my hope and prayer is that all Israel has brought, been brought out of Egypt by the pattern to stand in the holy place. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Bia. Our next speaker from the Oceanside class will be Dr. Bruce Geller. Thank you, Jerry. Good afternoon and evening to everyone. I enjoyed the remarks of the previous speaker. And is it Mia? Is that correct? No, it's just B. 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 Okay, B. I just wanted to uh, uh, comment on what you were saying there about how that Yahweh brought you out of Egypt. And uh, that's my testimony too, B, as well as I'm sure all of us can relate with that because Egypt, and that's the reason why that chart, uh, can you, uh, let's see, I need the Moses chart. Is that what's up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'm sorry. Um, that blackness down there uh, is a figure uh, or is an example of the darkness that we were all brought out of before we came into this teaching. I know this for absolute certainty as your testimony. I didn't know a thing about my creator before he brought me into this organization, sat me down and had to teach me about himself. Uh, otherwise, all I would have had was some, and, and all I did have was an imagination of what I thought God was like. Um, I was trained in a, in a certain religion but uh, I came to find out, and I had an inkling of it while I was in it, that it was not for me and that it wasn't really addressing any of the things that were important to me. Uh, and when I came down to this class, I was just a young man. I was only 18. Uh, it was back in 71. I That was a long time ago. Uh, and I was just a a young uh, whippersnapper who thought that maybe he knew something uh, 
but not really. I knew deep down inside, I, I didn't have any answers to, to what uh, I've come to understand since being in class, uh, just an amazing difference. And of course there would be a difference of having been brought out of total darkness not knowing anything, being ignorant of my creator and being brought into the light and having my, my heart touched and being touched by the creator of the heavens and the earth is, uh, is quite an incredible thing. And uh, for you to know that, it tr that he truly does exist, he does have a purpose, he has a plan He's executing that plan to perfection and nothing is going to hinder or obstruct that plan from being executed. Uh, if I could have Isaiah 40, uh, let's see, 55, I think it is. Uh, 55 nine. and eight. Yeah, my thoughts. Yeah. I forget where that is, but it's uh Isaiah 55 and 8. Thanks, Vic. You can read. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith Yahweh. Now see, uh, excuse me, Vic. I I uh I had to sit down in one of these classes and had to come back again and again before I was made to understand that the creator's ways were far different from my ways and his thoughts than my thoughts. I didn't understand that right away. I didn't come to recognize that right away. But now that I have come to understand that, you have to really uh, sit in awe of the kind of intelligence that we are dealing with, uh, this divine intelligence, as well as all the other attributes of our creator, of intelligence, knowledge, and wisdom, love, beauty, justice, foundation, power, and strength that makes up that body that they saw on top of Mount Sinai, that Eloistic form known as uh, Yahweh Elohim, that that was what was within that body, those attributes. And I didn't have any idea that. I, I had heard the term Elohim before in my religious upbringing, but it really didn't mean much. I mean, uh, if someone said uh, that his name was Yahweh, which they didn't, by the way, they never, they never told me that. Uh, it probably wouldn't have meant anything to me at that time uh, as well. But I had to come into one of these classes and sit down and and uh, listen to the things that were being presented to me and, and weigh them and compare them um, with what I had already been taught. And I learned more in this class, uh, not only about my own religion, but about many religions that are being taught out in the world today. Uh, when I came into class, I, I, uh, 
didn't know anything about Roman Catholicism or Christianity. Really, I didn't. But I sure got a lesson in it coming down here. And, and it's hard not to learn something uh, when you come down to one of these classes. But I, I have come to, to recognize uh, many things since being, since being in this school. And um, I can honestly say my testimony is, is that the information that is being expressed from the floor is so much greater than what I had been taught that it was just absolutely head and shoulders above anything that I had ever thought of. And uh, I'm thankful to Yahweh that he chose me out of the world, not because of uh, that there was anything great about me, but it was just the fact that he, he, and he said this in the scriptures, that he would have mercy on whom he would have mercy and whom he hardeneth, he hardened. And he did harden someone in the scriptures. In fact, he, he hardened a number of people, but one that comes to mind is Pharaoh down in Egypt. As a matter of fact, he told Moses at the burning bush, when you go down to Egypt and you tell Pharaoh that I, that you've spoken with me, uh, you tell them that I, uh, I'm the one that your, uh, that your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all, uh, had communication with this being known as Elohim. At that time, he was known as El Shaddai, which means almighty provider. This is before the event that B was talking about at the burning bush, which is where Yahweh revealed his name for the first time to a man, and that man was Moses. But prior to that, he was known to, to the forefathers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, Noah, as El Shaddai. And uh, as B said, he gave Moses uh, signs. He didn't just tell Moses to go down there and say, tell those people that I want them to believe in me. But, uh, you know, uh, and, and I'm not going to provide any witnesses for no. That's not the way that it was. He, he gave Moses a number of signs. And uh, Moses was to go back down there and, and reveal what he had been told by the creator. And he was going to be the instrument through which Yahweh was going to raise his son. He called Israel his one son out of the land of Egypt. And uh, that's exactly what he, what he did. And he brought them to Mount Sinai with the deliberate purpose that they would worship him at the mount. That's what he told Moses back there. And, um, oh, let's see. Uh, sometimes, you know, words uh, are hard to come by. But uh, I'm just grateful to be in this class because I know that what I do know and what Yahweh has showed me, I am confident in that. And uh, I'm grateful for it as well. But I was talking about Yahweh's mercy and uh, 
the book says that his mercy endureth forever. And, and isn't that something? He's been merciful to us, folks, that he's, you know, revealed himself to us. He didn't have to do that. And yet he said, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and whom I hardeneth, I harden. And uh, again, getting back to Pharaoh down there in Egypt, uh, he had to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he wouldn't let Israel go. And that's exactly what he did. And our hope and prayer is that he not harden us up. As it says in Psalms or somewhere in there, when you hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation in, in uh, the wilderness. And uh, many of them, uh, their hearts were hardened. And I'm talking about Israel now. What we read in the scripture in Judah, can we get that? Or in Jude, I should say. Uh, Go back to that scripture, because it talks about how Yahweh, having brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, um, not all of them uh, made it into Canaan's land. As a matter of fact, the first generation that was brought out of the land of Egypt, most of them were killed. You don't have to get that in Jude. You can read that for yourselves, how Yahweh took them children of Israel out but then they turned right around and uh, they, were, uh, they were hardened out there in the wilderness and they were deceived and they were disobedient and a gainsaying people. They were stiff-necked and they were hard. But that was all part of the purpose because it was the next generation that came forth out of the Israelites that did make it up into the land of Canaan. And there were several, three or four, that did make it out from that first generation and went into Canaan's land, but most of them died off. And Yahweh was displeased with them. And I, uh, I don't know uh, how I can say this except to say that we don't, we just want to pray to Yahweh that he... Uh, Continue to show mercy unto us, folks, because of our own selves, we are just not capable. We don't have the capability to make our own selves understand. In other words, that's the reason why we need a Savior. He has to show us. He has to reveal these things to us. And that way we rely on him and not on ourselves. Because really, you could read the Bible until you're blue in the face, and many people have, and still come away scratching your head and not understand until he opens up your heart and opens up your mind, which he has done with us. And we're so grateful for that because we know that we, could, we couldn't have done this on our own. If that were the case, Yahweh would not have incarnated in that body known as Yahshua the Messiah and gone through that torturous death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. He wouldn't have had to have done that if we could save ourselves. But we can't. 
save ourselves. And the sooner we find that out, the, the much better off we are and we'll stop trying to save ourselves. Because that's really the purpose of Yahshua. Uh, Yahshua's mission. I know his mission was to come in and fulfill the law and the prophets, but it's also his mission to reveal the Father to us and to reveal Yahweh's purpose to us. And without that Holy Spirit of promise, we would all be in severe, we would have severe problems because we just wouldn't be able to come into contact or have any kind of communion with our creator. So it's by that Holy Spirit, folks. That's why it is so important and cannot be stressed enough that that Holy Spirit must be formed in us. Let me have John 424, please. 423 and 24. John 4. We never, by the way, we never want to lose sight of the fact that it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that's causing us to know anything about our Creator. We're, mm -hmm. not, re, we're not relying on our own intellect for this, folks. This takes something much greater than our own intellect. Uh, John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For Hold it, Sharon, Father, right there. Thanks, Sharon. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No problem. Now, before I came into this class, I must uh, say that I was a false worshiper. I was not worshiping the Creator in spirit and in truth. And if somebody asked me, well, what is the spirit? What do, what do they mean by in spirit and in truth? I would have had to have made something up. I would have had to have given, the answer would have been something out of my imagination. But it wouldn't have been accurate and wouldn't have been able to be witnessed. And that's the reason why Yahweh gave us the law and the prophets, folks. The law and the prophets were Yahweh's revelations to mankind. That's what the founder said. That was Yahshua the Messiah that was speaking in those vessels, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, when it says the word of Yahweh came unto so-and-so. That was through the Holy Spirit that they were even speaking. Otherwise, they wouldn't have known what to say. It was through the Spirit that they were prophesizing. And, and, and it was through the Holy Spirit in the law that Moses had uh, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit, folks, that we must have and really has us, <laughs> we have to have, in order to worship Yahweh in spirit and in truth, you've got to have the spirit to do it. And it's better be the Holy Spirit that's doing it. Mm -hmm. John 4.23, Sharon, you just read. So read John 4.20, the next verse. Yahweh is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now you see what a difference it makes when you have the spirit, when you've been given the spirit. When you've been given the Holy Spirit, you now can worship Yahweh in spirit and in truth, because the Holy Spirit is the truth. Let me have John the 14th chapter, and I believe it's the 17th verse. It's the spirit of truth, folks, that we have been given. And we're so grateful to have it because it's through the Holy Spirit that we're learning these things. And it's the Holy Spirit that's keeping us in class. I mean, the Holy Spirit is, is the key to the whole thing. It, having a, a knowledge and understanding of Yahweh and his son, Yahshua, that's eternal life, folks. Look at it, what it is that we're laying hold on in this class. Sometimes we forget. Uh, I won't say we, I'll just use myself. Sometimes I forget how profound and yet how simple this teaching really is. And it's been said over the years, and it's so true that the beauty of this teaching is in the simplicity. And it's the simple things, the one, two, three, you know, that have the most profound impact on your heart and your mind. Not, you know, uh, uh, things that are above your head or over your head that you can't understand. That's not edifying to anyone when it's uh, expressed and nobody can understand it. And yet the simplicity of this, read John 4, I think it's John 14, 17. Go ahead, Sharon. John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, that's a comforting thing, folks, and I'm sure it was comforting to them. See, Yahshua was walking around with those people for three years, three and a half years, and he was... He was a great comfort to the disciples and the, the apostles. But his promises is that I, I'm going to be inside of you. And once I am, there's nothing, nothing that can hinder or that can keep you from receiving an immortal glorification. In other words, once, once you have the Holy Spirit or is it, it's inside your soul, it will never leave you. And that should be a comfort. John 14, 26, Vic, you could go down a little bit. 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, the from comforter, the the comforter is the Holy Spirit, folks. Sorry again to interrupt. That's okay. But the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm telling you, and you have your own testimony, anyone that's hearing me. But my testimony is I didn't know a Holy Spirit from a hole in the wall before I came into this class. When you said Holy Spirit to me, which I didn't hear very often in the religion I was raised in, 
But uh, it wouldn't have meant anything anyways, unless it had been broken down and explained to me that the Holy Spirit is, is comprised of these attributes and that that's what spirit is, is attributes. If you had said anything concerning spirit, it wouldn't have meant anything to me because I didn't know anything. So like I said, I would have had to imagine about what it was and I don't have to imagine anymore. Once you know you're imagine, you don't have to imagine or wonder anymore about what something means because you have an understanding of it and you have some experience with it. Now there's an expression in the world that the experience is the best teacher. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, that's a very, very accurate and true statement. But if you don't have any experience with something, then, you know, how do you uh, define it if you haven't experienced it, you know? Um, so in John 14, 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things, it says, right? That's why it's so important that we be recipients of Yahshua the Messiah and the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you receive Yahshua? How does someone get the Holy Spirit? I mean, do they just wake up one day and and all of a sudden there's the Holy Spirit and they got it and everything's hunky dory? Um, I think it's Colossians, the uh, not Colossians. Uh, First Corinthians, the first chapter. Well, you can get it later and check me on this, but it says in the in the book that it was through the foolishness of preaching that it pleased Yahweh that he would save some. Well, the preaching of what? What are what what is required to, to be preached in order that the that someone might be a recipient of the Holy Spirit? Gospel. That's exactly right, Sharon. You answered the question right there. It's the gospel. Now, the gospel, if you you used that word to me before I came into class, that wouldn't have meant anything either. Oh, I would have said gospels. Yeah, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, there's only one gospel, folks. And gospel means good news. The good news is, is that the, the, the Messiah has come into the world and has enlightened us. The one that had been prophesied of for thousands of years. And you can read about that in the book of Genesis, late in the chapters of Genesis, how that they were uh, looking forward to the coming of, of a Messiah that would save them from their sins, by the way. And uh, I didn't know any of this stuff before I came into class. I'd like to know who amongst us did know any of this stuff. In fact, in the, in the uh, religion that I was raised, uh, they didn't even tell me what his name was. And, and, and uh, his, his name is mentioned over 6,000 times in the Old Testament alone. So... I didn't know any of these things before I came into class. That's why I'm so grateful for anything that he does show me because I realized at one time I didn't know a darn thing.
nothing. I was completely ignorant of my creator and I was dead, carnally minded. That's the way I came in. In fact, let me have Romans 8 and 6, please. This is the way all of us came into class. Dead on arrival, the founder said. And, you know, looking back, it's not that hard to, to understand. Because we knew nothing about this, this great purpose and plan of Yahweh. Didn't even never heard his name. Shame on them that never told me, by the way, because they knew it and yeah. never even mentioned it to me. Gave me a false, uh, a, the name of a, a, a title, which he, folks, his name is holy. The scriptures will tell you that. In fact, we could get that too, but I don't, I don't want to get, get it. It's Isaiah 57 and 15, though, if you want to find out. And his name means something to him. And it should mean something to us, folks, that we now know it. And we can call upon him. And we can communicate with him. None of those things were true before I came into this teaching. I didn't know who he was. And I certainly didn't communicate with him didn't have any kind of a relationship with him whatsoever. And now that I have come into class, I, I am so grateful for the fact that he showed me anything about himself. And at least I know who to call on. And I know that he answers me. That's, that's, that's something. <laughs> Hopefully your testimony is the same. So we have a lot to be thankful for. What scripture did I? Oh, Romans eight and six. This Romans is the wall. Yeah, go ahead, Sharon. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritual is peace. See, we didn't even know the difference between life and death before we came into class. I didn't. I thought, you know, being alive was you're walking around, you're breathing, you're you're laughing, you're having fun, you're doing whatever you do, that means you're alive. Not to Yahweh. To be carnally minded is death. Carnal just means physical, natural, not spiritual. It's the antithesis of spirituality. And that's exactly the way that we were. We thought on a carnal plane. We did things on a carnal plane. We knew nothing of the spirit. I didn't. And, and, and I'm so glad to know anything about my heavenly father and about his son. I certainly knew nothing of his son because in the religion I was raised in, they deny him. And that's a sad state of affairs, folks, to deny the only one that can save you. That's an awful state to be in. But that's where I was. I didn't know. See, it's one thing to not know. It's another thing to not want to know. And once you get your eyes open to what Yahweh has to say, you know, you want more. <laughs> you, you don't want to remain ignorant. 
you want to know as much as, as, as he'll allow you to know and be grateful for what it is that he shows you. And in, in, in class, we're admonished to prove all things. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to imagine up on anything. I've already mentioned that. But to know is it's a lot different than to just speculate. You can't have any stability in speculations. But when you know something for definite and for sure, if you're convicted in it, then you, you ought to have some kind of stability along with it. Isaiah 33 and 6. And I'll be down. Isaiah 33 and 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of Yahweh is his treasure. See, wisdom and knowledge, folks, is our stability. Now, both of those things, wisdom and knowledge, are both attributes of the Holy Spirit, huh? I wonder how that is. See, that's the thing that's going to cause stability in us, is to have those divine attributes imbued in us. In fact, that's the whole reason why we get together, folks, is to preach this so another soul can be added to the body of Yahshua. In other words, Someone else can be enlightened and come out of darkness. That's the reason why we get together, folks, is to preach the true gospel of Yahshua the Messiah, which is his death, burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures. And that's good news, folks, because this Savior that had been prophesied for years was going to save, let me just have Matthew 1 and uh, Matthew 1 and 21, and then I will be down. This gospel is going to be preached, folks, in all the world for a witness, and then shall the end come. You want and Matthew one twenty one. Yeah, this is this is uh, yeah. Go ahead, Sharon. Read that. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Yahshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. See this Yahshua, this Savior that was prophesied in in your Old Testament for thousands of years, uh, finally arrived. Finally came in. And it says that he was going to be named Yahshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Yahshua means literally that Yahweh is salvation, folks. And so to have Yahshua formed in us is salvation. And it's through the preaching of this gospel that that happens within us. And that's why it's extremely important that we continue to preach the gospel with witnesses 
and hope that Yahweh will raise another soul from the dead as he's raised us up from the dead. And he really has raised us from the dead, folks, spiritually and psychologically. We're not talking about physically. We're talking about in your heart and in your mind, which is really the, the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pass it on to the next speaker. I want to thank you for your attention. I appreciate the opportunity to have something to say. And uh, thank you for the opportunity. Hallelujah. You heard what I said, right? Thank you, Dr. Geller. Our next uh, speaker will be the president of the Oceanside branch, Dr. Carl Emler. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Uh, let's go to Matthew 1 and 1. <clears throat> and don't get afraid. <laughs> We're going to read a little bit of generations, just a little bit. Go ahead. Matthew 1, 1, the book of the generation of Yahshua, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. One more. And Judas, okay. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. Now. Uh, go to verse 17. 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And David from carrying until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto the Messiah are 14 generations. Uh, go on, read on. Now the birth of Yahshua the Messiah was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the um, last generation of the Jews, Yahshua the Messiah. We had um, the generations in the beginning of Matthew described, and it was described in order to uh, focus on Yahshua the Messiah. Let me have the carnal ordinance chart, please. It was, um, you know, it's not for us to memorize the generations and all of the other kind of stuff, but Matthew is making a point that uh, Yahshua the Messiah uh, came through these generations. And um, I don't know, Dennis, you're going to try to get me the uh, carnal ordinance chart, please. Um, not there. He's not there, huh? Okay. Might have walked away or something. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Um, boy. All right, let's use this chart for the Colonel Ordnance chart, and I can't even blow it up. Oh, he's back. He's back. 
He's, he's looking. There it is, F 15, I think. No, 14, 14, there it went, there you go. Um, this man that you see hanging on the cross here is who is referred to uh, in Matthew uh, 118. And we're gonna read a little bit about uh, his origin. Now, we've already read about his uh, genealogy, his family tree, if you will. And his family tree was such that um, he's identified as a Hebrew, an Israelite, a Jew. Oh, thank you. Um, and um, get me um, uh, Proverbs 30 and 4, I think it is. Thirty and four. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Now, <clears throat> Bruce um, commented in his. Uh, words that being raised uh, an Israelite, a Jew, a Hebrew, um, that he never heard about the Son of God, and that uh, about the only person he heard about the Son of God from was from Dennis Volpe, <laughs> who's a Roman Catholic, who uh, tried to get um, Bruce Geller as an early early teenager, maybe even younger than that, to open up to Roman Catholicism. Because in Dennis's mind, from his teaching, and he was committed to that, uh, that if you weren't Roman Catholic, you were lost and going to burn in hell for the rest of, quote, existence. And Bruce was his friend. And you wouldn't want that to be the fate of someone who's truly your friend, not just an acquaintance, not just someone down the street you play baseball with, but someone, I mean, Dennis didn't talk, Dennis didn't try to convert everyone in his younger years to Roman Catholicism, but he certainly did make an attempt with Bruce. And Bruce, if I'm wrong about that, just speak up. But um, they were friends in that sense that Dennis cared about him. And so he preached Jesus Christ and uh, as Christianity does, and that is the son of God, uh, as far as uh, Christianity is concerned. Now remember, Christianity, uh, all of Christianity believes in a trinity, which is one God with three separate persons, personalities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they know God the Father's name is Yahweh. All trained, 
Christian ministers, no matter what denomination, know that the creator's name given to Moses at the burning bush uh, in Exodus uh, received the name Yahweh, not Jehovah. I'm talking about the trained people now. And even Jehovah Witnesses who are trained in the scriptures, they know K-N-O-W. They know that God's name, uh, the name of the Father is Yahweh. They know it, they've printed it, they've stated it, and they've said it. Uh, but because they uh, have embraced this idea of Jehovah from ancestors who started uh, the Jehovah Witnesses and um, started it supposedly by the inspiration of God uh, that they stick to the name Jehovah uh, um, because in their, and I've had discussion with them, I've shown them their pamphlet where it says the name is properly Yahweh. But in the context of their explanation, in that pamphlet, they justify using Jehovah because it's more familiar to the people. But back when Jehovah Witnesses started, Jehovah was not more familiar to the people. Lord and God was more familiar to the people. And rare few people knew that uh, or thought that God's name was Jehovah. And so they can't give this name up because the original claim is that it came from an inspiration uh, of God and God can't be wrong. So they've got to find a way that Jehovah's right and Yahweh is wrong. And the way that they do that is they have decided that um, because of the familiarity of Jehovah, it's okay to use that bottom line. And that's man's uh, working of man's mind in order to avoid the truth. And we already had read that uh, you know the you can the only way to worship Yahweh is in spirit and in truth. And this Messiah claimed to be the truth when he walked around uh, with uh, his people. Now, uh, remember, these are his people. This man you see on the cross who came to the Jews and to Jews only, when he talked about his people, he's referring to the Jews. Now, we understand, we, we understand that there was something in And that that was within him was what the world calls God. And what we know to be Yahweh Elohim. And uh, if you can imagine the Moses chart for a moment, uh, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel uh, in the 24th chapter of Exodus saw the Elohim or saw the God of Israel. And he had hands, feet, and a body, a body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he didn't lay his hands on them. 
so he had hands and he was standing on a blue sapphire stone. So he had feet. Uh, they saw uh, an embodiment uh, that's analogous to the physical body you're sitting in a chair on right now. Uh, if you are complete and haven't had any uh, misfortunes that resulted in amputations or anything like that, you have hands, you have feet, and you have a body. And uh, Moses himself, the Lord God, as the world sees it, stated clearly to Moses that man, you with your hands, your feet, and your body was made in the likeness and image of God, whom we know to be Yahweh Elohim. Now, the reason why we talk about Yahweh Elohim is because Yahweh Elohim is the son of Yahweh. And we need to make a distinction between the father and son. Reread Proverbs 30 and 4. Hang on, I got it. That's right. Who has ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Now, we're not going to take the time to go to, um, I guess it's Proverbs 8 and 22, where this is repeated. Um, okay. When uh, we find that Yahweh did something, uh, Yahweh... Mm -hmm. Well, uh, uh, quickly, one eighteen, John one eighteen. And, yeah, and the other reader, get me Acts, the twenty fifth chapter, and we're going to be uh, live, move, and have our being within him. Some aspect of that over there in the twenty fifth chapter of Acts. John one and eighteen. No man has seen God at any time. Or would you like me to insert the proper name? Insert the proper names because we already know that over there in uh, the wilderness of Sinai, the 24th chapter of Exodus, in your King James version of the Bible, it reads uh, 75 people saw God. And now in the King James version, you read no man has seen God at any time. So that needs to be straightened out. And the way that's straightened out is... Over there in Exodus, they saw the Elohim of Israel, or Yahweh Elohim. They didn't see Yahweh. Why? Because no man has seen Yahweh at any time. And this is not a magic show where Yahweh's made himself invisible, and so no man can see him, and he's hiding off someplace, making things happen, while he looks down from heaven and watches uh, this experiment and how they're all reacting. And based on his whim, he will establish who will be uh, going on uh, to the next phase, <laughs> like American Idol or whatever those programs are, where, you know, you're going to Hollywood and then you're going on and then you're going on. That's not what's happening with Yahweh. 
Yahweh, no man has seen Yahweh at any time, period. And there's a distinct reason for that. And, uh, and so um, this Yahweh Elohim is the same one in Proverbs, the eighth chapter. Uh, Yahweh Elohim is the same one in uh, Exodus 24, 9 and 10. And uh, Yahweh Elohim, the son of Yahweh, Proverbs 30 and uh, uh, 4. Uh, what is his name and what is his son's name? Uh, and, and let me say this. The son's name is not Elohim. This is Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh who can be seen in a vision is another way to say that. Because no man has seen Yahweh, standalone Yahweh, by himself. But uh, they can see this son who's described as the son, uh, uh, as hands, feet, and a body that Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel saw up there. I thank you for bringing that, Dennis. Uh, up there at the top of the mountain. Um, now, uh, back to Proverbs in 30 and 4 and start it right from... Four, instead of I chopped it up into the middle of that verse. <laughs> okay. Proverbs 30 and 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven? Now listen, these well, I'm going to break this up. Play with okay. me. Play with me. All right. So it says who. That's the very first part that you need to keep track of as you read this verse. Who are we talking about? It's exactly what Isaiah is pointing out. Who has done this? Mm -hmm. Who has ascended up into heaven and descended? Mm -hmm. Read. Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Now, uh, we won't go into this, but when Moses had this uh, vision, the creation by the pattern, you see on this chart, those days of creation, uh, he begins describing uh bringing in uh the light bringing in this doing that uh, messiah comes around and he stops the the storm so he gathers the wind in his fist and so we see the messiah doing that we see uh yahweh elohim doing that uh this visionary shape and form to moses he is the one who appears to be making this physical creation on these six days we read about in Genesis. Does anybody have a problem with that yet? No. Now, we have who? And I talked about this Yahweh Elohim, but now listen to what it reads. Who has ascended and who has descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Read, Sharon. Who has bound the waters in a garment? So, the waters above from the waters beneath and the uh, earth appeared. And so the waters have been bound in a garment in a sense from a physical manifestation. That garment is the atmosphere. That garment are the coasts of the continents that border uh, the oceans uh, right. and inland seas, etc. That all that's saying is that these waters, no matter where you deal with these waters, they have been bound. They have been brought together uh, in a, a, a border, if you will. The, the shores of Florida are a part of that 
border or garment of the waters, and those waters should not pass those borders under uh, ideal conditions. Uh, Lake Ontario has borders all the way around it. Those waters should not pass those borders. So what you have here is a manifestation of a glass of water. <laughs> because uh, we talk about the Godhead being abstract, intermediate, and concrete. The abstract part is the invisible part of water. The H2O, we call humidity, we feel humidity, but we don't usually see humidity. And the only time we see it is if it condenses into a cloud. But generally speaking, humidity is invisible. But if you cool it down, mm -hmm. uh, you can fill a glass with that. We call that water. And so these garments, that glass is a garment surrounding and holding that water. And then you freeze it in its ice. It's the same H2O in the humidity. And that H2O descends into the glass. Mm -hmm. And if you heat that glass, it will ascend back up into humidity. Is that clear? All right. Now, we have Proverbs uh, uh, 30 and 6. Who has ascended and who has descended? Well, we know that this water in a glass and the water cycle that we've studied in this class uh, does exactly the same thing. Those waters come up out of those uh, uh, holding places, oceans and rivers and streams, and go up into humidity. And you don't stand at the ocean and see this happening, but it's happening right in front of your eyes. But it's invisible because no man has seen Yahweh at any time. And that humidity coming up off of those uh, bodies of water that you can't see that are uh, placed back into the heavens to move to some other area of the planet and release itself as water again to water those fields in Australia or, or wherever else it is. This is uh, who has ascended and who has descended, who has gathered the winds in his fist uh, uh, and who has, uh, uh, read that from Gathered the Winds there, uh, uh, Sharon. Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Now, this is established all the ends of the earth. Now, we're asking about who this is. Now we want to know something about him. And what we're going to ask is, what is his name? Read it out of the book, Sharon. What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? So all this time in Proverbs 30 and 4, we have been talking about the father who has a son. Is that clear? Right. That's the who. Whether he's ascended or descended, whether mm -hmm. he's gathered the winds, whether there's a border or whatever, this is Yahweh, the father. And that's why Elohim is not Elohim. Elohim is Yahweh Elohim. That's Yahweh descending. And Yahweh will ascend back up. I don't need this chart, uh, but thank you, Dennis. I'm going to go back to the carnal ordinances chart now. Um, so, uh, so this is a mystery. Bruce didn't get this in, uh, what do you call it? Hebrew school, Bruce? 
he didn't you learn heard. this uh, to be bar mitzvah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, they don't talk about, they're scared. The Jews are scared to talk about the son of God, the son of Yahweh, the son of Adon, of Elohei, Adonai Eloheinu is the son of uh, who they call, I don't know what they call him. They, do they refer to uh, Yahweh as Adonai and then Yahweh as Adonai Eloheinu? I guess that's the way, the way that it is. Yes, it is. Okay, okay thank you. So, um, you know, they shy away from this idea of the son and, and I'm sure they don't go to Exodus, the 24th chapter, in order to establish uh, uh, Yahweh or, or Adonai Eloheinu uh, and show 75 people saw him back there and all of this stuff because they have no way to reconcile what it is they saw. Now, remember, Christianity has incorporated uh, this concept of father and son and Holy Spirit in what is called the Trinity. And they say it's three separate individuals. They're all God, but the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Father, and the Holy Spirit's not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, but they're all God. And they say this is a supernatural mystery that you can't understand. Now, uh, Proverbs 30 and 4 describes two-thirds of this. And that is um, uh, Yahweh, who's doing all the business behind the scenes or in the invisible state. And, um, uh, and this descension of Yahweh into a visionary shape and form that can only be seen by visions. Important. You can't see it with your natural eyes. Now, let me just clear up something really quick and get me over into Acts, uh, whoever uh, may have that fingered. In Acts their... 17, 28. Go ahead. I don't have it. Oh, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> all right. I can get it. I'll get it. Go yeah, ahead. go. Someone grab it. Someone grab it. 17 and 3, you said? 17. Acts 17, we need up in like 20, 28. 28, 28, thank you. 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now listen, this there's a whole lot of stuff in Acts, we do not have time, but this is stating uh, our relationship to Yahweh. And our relationship to Yahweh is that Yahweh is not up above sun, moon, and stars and looking down at us. This is as clear as can be uh, in these scriptures. And Paul makes it very clear. We live, we move, and we have our being right within Yahweh, right within spirit. Yahweh is spirit, and no man has seen Yahweh at any time because, not because Yahweh is magic and he's hiding someplace to reward you with seeing him once you've been good enough. You are living, moving, and have your being within Yahweh. And so therefore, you can't get outside of him to look back at him to see what he looks like. So as far as your state is concerned, Yahweh's invisible. That's the simplicity of it. 
just like uh, you live in the physical body you got. You've never seen your face at any time. So you have a mirror so you can see what you look like, or you take a picture so you can see what you look like. But either way, you get to see what you look like. But you can't see it directly because you live, move, and have your being in your body. And a child can understand that. There's no reason in the world why uh, uh, Roman Catholicism and Christianity in general cannot understand this Godhead. And it's over there in Proverbs. He, Yahweh, pure spirit, can descend and go back into his invisible state and ascend. And so what we're seeing, uh, and, and don't go to the Moses chart, but what we're seeing in the Moses chart with uh, um, uh, uh, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, seeing in a vision uh, the glory of Yahweh, hands, feet, and a body, uh, and a body of heaven in its clearness. Uh, that is a descension of Yahweh pure spirit into a way that man can be that man can see him through a vision. And they can't really understand all that there is about pure spirit in that one shape and form, but they can understand uh, that that can be known of Yahweh in that shape and form. And, and I quote that from uh, uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20, and we're not gonna get it. But it says that that may be known of Yahweh, the invisible Yahweh, pure spirit, uh, is clearly seen uh, being understood by the things that are made. So the invisible things can be seen by things that are not made. And so Yahweh uh, uh, transmuted, you might think of it, made himself a visionary shape and form for your benefit so that you can know that there's something uh, there that you cannot detect. And he spoke to uh, Nicodemus in the third chapter of John about this as well, and we're not going to go there. I make these references, so if you want to, you can write these things down, or if you listen to this again, you can pause the tape and go over and get these things, because these things are clear and easy to understand. Now, this this Holy Spirit part has got the whole world uh, uh, tripped. They're, they stumble and trip over this idea of the Holy Spirit. 14th chapter of John, real quick. And I want, uh, I am with you and shall be in you. And then picking up a couple of verses from that just to get the context. Uh, let's see, John 14, oh, 10 maybe? Sure, go for it. Uh, Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Now that's Proverbs, the 30th chapter, fourth verse. Read. Mm -hmm. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the work. Now, listen, the Father, read that again, Sharon. Okay. The, um, the, the words that I speak unto, unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Now, there's a father that's dwelling in him, that's doing the works that you cannot see unless he manifests himself. Now, one way that he manifests himself is by taking on that visionary shape and form of Yahweh Elohim. And back there with Moses, when the people heard Yahweh Elohim speak, 
What they did not know was that that was the words of the Father spoken through that visionary shape and form. That visionary shape and form, Yahweh Elohim, does not have a mind of his own, does not have a story of his own, does not have words of his own. Everything he has, he receives from the Father in that Eloistic state. And the same is true for this manifestation of uh, Yahweh's purpose, Yahshua the Messiah in the flesh, talking these, to these people uh, uh, in a physical body, shaking their hands, eating with them, sleeping with them, uh, uh, marching from one city to another with them, uh, uh, bathing, cleaning, all that you can possibly think about. When, when the disciples got their feet washed by Yahshua, Yahshua actually washed their feet basin with water and towels, stuck their feet in there, scrubby dubby dubby, washed their feet, dried them off. This guy did that, touched them, felt them, all of that. Uh, and yet, uh, what we learn is that it's the Father speaking through him. That's what you read, Sharon. Read on from there. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Now that's Acts, the 25th chapter. You are in Yahweh, and Yahweh is in you. Uh, and so you can't get outside of him to look back at him. And the uh, manifestation is we live in an atmosphere, and we breathe oxygen. And if you take the oxygen out of this atmosphere, you die. So we live in, and you've never seen oxygen. You've never seen oxygen in the gaseous state before in your life. You may have seen it condensed liquid oxygen. Uh, probably not, but... Uh, we can do that with oxygen. But anyways, uh, uh, the oxygen you breathe in goes to every cell of your body. So we live in the atmosphere, and the atmosphere which gives us life lives in us. And so this is what the Messiah is talking about. He's trying to explain the nature of the uh, Godhead, the operation of this invisible Yahweh, and how he operates in order to make himself known. And he goes to great extents uh, to make himself known. So now, uh, remember, and we're going to go back to this idea that it's the Father in me, and we're going to straighten that out too. Oh my, there's so much. Uh, read on, Sharon. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now, and this is a nice thing. I mean, this is a good thing. See, uh, I'm going to kind of cut to the to the chase here briefly. And these disciples, and it's and it's manifested by Peter, particularly the, the, uh, um, denying the Messiah three times. Messiah said to Peter before, this is while he's in this physical body. And by the way, this 14th chapter of John He's in this physical body that you see hanging on the cross. This is before this act took place. Uh, and he's in discussion with his uh, disciples. This is before he was taken, before he was whipped, before the crown of thorns, before nailed to the cross, the whole deal. This 14th chapter of John precedes that. He's still, quote, in a safe place from this, pardon me, crucifixion. And he's talking with them, and they're seeing this physical body. They're seeing this 
this man who they believe to be the Messiah because he's explained that out of the law and the prophets who he was. And he had great power that convinced them. Those are the works that he's talking about here. He's telling them that it's okay for you to believe me, uh, believe on me for my very works sake. And those are works in the flesh, walking on water, he, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, healing the sick, the leprosy, uh, all of these things that, that he did. Calm the storms, you understand, gather the winds in his fist, if you will. We've talked about all these things. They saw this man do that and walked around with him while he did it. And when all those soldiers came to take him, a bunch of soldiers, centurion and his soldiers, came to take this Messiah. Uh, uh, out of the Garden of Gethsemane there, wherever he was praying, uh, 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 Peter, the little fisherman, takes a sword and cuts someone's ear off. Uh, and the Messiah <laughs> goes, oh, don't do that. No. And he puts it back on, heals the ear of this guy, because it was time for him to be taken. Uh, and, and so uh, this is the relationship they had with this man. They felt safe with him as long as they could see him and touch him and eat with him. And he was there to call upon whenever they needed him. Messiah said, Peter, uh, at some point in time, I'm not going to be there and you're going to deny me. And uh, Peter says, no way. And yet we find out that, in fact, he did de deny him three times. And it was crucial and critical that Peter denied this Messiah. See, I got about 15 minutes. I'm trying to keep a clear watch on this clock. Um, Peter uh, uh, had to deny him in the flesh because greater than him uh, would come on the day of Pentecost. And so uh, Peter had to witness to the inability of this physical man to cleanse his conscience. And uh, these disciples uh, did not have a cleansing of their conscience. They were still under uh, Adam's transgression. They were still uh, felt guilty. They still were trying to do works uh, uh, in order to satisfy the old covenant given to Moses. And none of that's going to change until Pentecost. And so uh, it behooved uh, uh, Peter to deny the Messiah. Because if Peter didn't deny the Messiah, then it would have been sufficient for the Messiah to be in the flesh to save Peter's soul. It's not going to be sufficient. So it was for Peter's sake and the sake of all of us to understand the difference between flesh and spirit, that Peter denied this man. But regardless, that's aside from. Now, uh, so here's the Messiah in 14th chapter of John. Uh, the words that I speak, they're my father's. Uh, pick that up, Sharon, wherever I'm close to. Um, where was I? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> it's the father in me. Ten. Yes, ten. ten. Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, no. but the Whoa. Father. They don't, these words are not of himself. Mm -hmm. They're looking at this. Who are they looking at? They're looking at this body. Read on. Sure. Right. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now, the Father that dwells in him does the works. And I want you to know that the Father who's dwelling in him has descended 
into that superincorporeal body and then descended into yeah. this physical body. Mm -hmm. There's your supposed trinity. It's the father who took on shape and form as Yahweh Elohim, who then, I'll use this term, climbed up into this body and fulfilled everything that uh, he had stated he would fulfill down through ages and dispensations. And these three are one. It's the father who took on that shape and form. And then it's the father who operated within this physical body. Now, read on. Uh, no, that's good enough. Eleven. Go back to Matthew, uh, the first chapter. Oh, my gosh. I forgot all about that. I mean, that's where I, you'll see. This is where I wanted Matthew, the <laughs> first chapter. Uh, uh, 18, Matthew 118. Now, the birth of Yahshua the Messiah was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, the uh, Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, well, we, we have the Father and we have the Son. What is this Holy Spirit? And uh, what you'll find back in, in um, Genesis is that man was made out of the dust of the earth and he laid there inanimate, dead as you were. And uh, Yahweh uh, Elohim breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul. And so he was animated uh, by the spirit of Yahweh. Unbeknownst, Yahweh, uh, Adam didn't know anything about Yahweh's purpose. It wasn't, he wasn't born with the knowledge of Yahweh's purpose or he wasn't animated in this case because he wasn't actually born. He was created and then animated. He was not animated with the knowledge of Yahweh's purpose. He walked with Yahweh Elohim in the garden and Yahweh Elohim discussed with Adam uh, what his purpose was, gave Adam laws, be fruitful and multiply, uh, had Adam name all the animals uh, and uh, told Adam essentially that uh, because none of the animals would be a help meet for him, that he would draw out of Adam uh, uh, a woman, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. This was a discussion that Yahweh had with a Yahweh Elam had with Adam as he walked with him in the garden, because if Adam was put in a deep sleep, and then uh, he woke up and there's this woman here. Uh, he didn't know that he had been operated on, if I can put it like that. You don't know when you go into the operating room what they've been doing in there. And, you know, and all of a sudden there's a woman. So there had to be discussion with Yahweh Elohim to tell Adam that this was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And so and these things are unsaid, but yet they're uh, recognized that that's the only way man can know anything is if he hears it from Yahweh Elohim, because Yahweh Elohim can speak and have sound uh, uh, be transmitted through the ears of man and such he can hear those words. Now, uh, I, I want to get one other thing here. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, Oh, God, I must have spelt it. I want where she was uh, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And I tried overshadowed. Oh, let's try that. Here, here we go. Uh, oh, 
Um, let's see here. Just read on in here, um, in where you are in, in, in Matthew uh, go to 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. So that will do this for power here. That which is conceived of her is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and, and placed within her uh, uh, the seed of this physical body. And that is a transmutation of spirit. That spirit overshadowed Mary. And look at Yahweh is both masculine and feminine. And when he took on the shape and form of Elohim, that Eloistic form was both masculine and feminine. And so when Adam was created, he was both masculine and feminine. And the reason why that embodiment was both masculine and feminine, because eventually that embodiment was going to bring forth offspring. And this physical body is the first offspring, uh, essentially, uh, brought through Mary that man could see this physical body. Now, I need to go all the way over to, because I've got about six or seven minutes, I need to go all the way over to the crucifixion. Uh, uh, where he gave up the ghost. Let me see if I can find that real quick, unless someone knows right where it is. Uh, let's see here. Try Mark 2346. No, go to John 1930. John 19. And 30. When Yahshua therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now look at, so once that it was finished, he was completely finished what he came to do in this physical body. Uh, mm -hmm. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And that is to say that that, father in him that was speaking through that uh, visionary shape and form of Yahweh Elohim, uh, that was the ghost that overshadowed Mary. Uh, and that's the same ghost that, uh, that entered the physical body she brought forth that was a transmutated spirit of Yahweh Elohim into a physical, I'll say it like this, the best way to get you to understand it is that uh, Yahweh Elam created within him uh, the ability to bring forth this physical body. Call it an ovum if you want. Call it whatever you want. But he created within him the ability that once this was placed into Mary, the outcome was she had an actual baby. Uh, and it was a fleshly baby. It was in the likeness of sinful flesh, but it was flesh. It was the likeness of sinful flesh because it was not sinful, but it was flesh. And he took on that physical body, uh, and uh, but the physical body was animated by that uh, Eloistic form within him, 
And what was speaking through that Eloistic form and doing things through that Eloistic form in or out of a body has always been the father, the actual father, the only father of the Godhead, Yahweh. This is how Yahweh makes himself seen because you live, move, and have your being within him and you can't see him and understand him. So now watch this. So this body uh, 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 dies, if you will, as far as the people looking at it are concerned. And But what we understand and what uh, John is uh, telling us is that the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Yahweh uh, left that body. And as soon as that happened, that body went completely inanimate, like Adam, before he was breathed into the breath of life. And that body, they took off the cross. Now, that spirit of Yahweh Elohim, we'll read later, and we don't have time. I got four minutes. We don't have time. goes down and preaches to them that are slept in the dust of the earth. And a whole lot of stuff happens. That thing didn't die. That Elohim in Yahshua did not die. Uh, this, this body is what went through the death process. And they took this body off the cross. They uh, prepared it for burial. However, funerary uh, was done back there. They did that to this body. Uh, this, the, whatever uh, oils and things, they wrapped it in, in, in grave clothes and all of that stuff. And they put this body in that tomb. And now here's what I'm going to tell you. This body did not raise from the dead. The raising happened when the spirit of uh, Elohim left that body. And what comes out of the tomb is Yahweh Elohim after he had been busy doing all kinds of things uh, in uh, the bowels of the earth and talking to this one and raising. He's, he's doing the Ezekiel 37 chapter is what Dr. insinuates in this one pamphlet, uh, Judgment and Resurrection Now. Uh, and so... Uh, that that's been busy while this body laid in the grave on a slab of marble or whatever it is in grave clothes. And uh, when that uh, uh, time came for something to come out of that tomb, this physical body uh, dematerialized back into the original source and substance it came into, back into the spirit of Yahweh. And the manifestation of that is when you die, you go into the dirt and you don't come up out of that grave and resurrect. Neither does your soul. None of that. Your soul's gone off someplace else. There's your body. You want to find Henry Clifford Kinley? Go into the cemetery and dig him up. There's his bones. And those things of that body, this is Romans 1, 19 and 20, go back to the elements of the earth, which is the, the chaos seen in the beginning of creation, which describes Yahweh as pure spirit. Yahweh as pure spirit is not chaotic, but he is chaotic to us. And so therefore he has to de-chaotize himself by taking on a shape and form. And so this spirit that came out of that tomb was Yahweh Elohim, who had been the same spirit that came out of this body. And now we learn that the grave has come up uh, and to meet us, in other words, these bodies are graves, and that body uh, was a grave as well. It was meant to go to the grave and uh, not resurrect. And the spirit of Yahweh Elm did not look like Yahshua looked, just as the world expects to look like um, uh, you're going to recognize your grandmother and your grandfather, etc. It's not going to happen. So I've got one minute, and I'm just going to summarize this. 
is that when we try to understand something about uh, the Godhead, we have to understand the operation of spirit. And we talk about the Holy Spirit uh, uh, manifested in or out of a physical body. And this is exactly what I'm talking about here with this singular event of Yahshua the Messiah coming to his people, the Jews, through those generations we read about in Matthew 1. And at this time, there was no Holy Spirit for anybody else. Even the bit of Holy Spirit that John the Baptist had uh, had been uh, uh, lost uh, back to this uh, shape and form. And so uh, that invisible Yahweh Elohim, who uh, is the son of Yahweh, uh, manifest in this body uh, so that you can handle it, so that it is concrete to you, that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, Dr. Kinley talks about if you have the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, the, your soul, it's your attitude, your disposition, your uh, all of those things that you see manifest from this body. It's either one or the other, one mystery or the other. And it can only be the Holy Spirit if you received that uh, in your Pentecost. So... Um, that's the best I can do with the with what I got. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. Thank you, Dr. Immler. I'd like to thank everyone who participated in our Zoom class and those who viewed us on YouTube. We hold our Oceanside Zoom class here every Saturday from 4 to 6 Pacific time. Zoom participants, please stay muted until the live stream ends. We will now close with a doxology taken from the last two verses of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Let us all say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. hallelujah.